Oh, oh boy. Okay. <laughs> what a what a time. What a time what to a time, be alive. What a time to be alive. Yeah. How are you doing, Phil? I'm I'm doing great. I love the I love the outline for today. I just gotta say, I love it. It it just got me back into made me feel all these feelings about 2010 and 2011. Yeah. Yeah. Regret. Just, I mean, uh, yeah, just yeah, a wave of I don't I don't know what's the opposite of nostalgia. Horror, uh, revulsion. I mean, yeah, but it's like uh, you know, it's like this this sense of the past. It's like imagine if like Marcel Proust's like you know if the Madeline was but like disgusting, right? That sounds um, like shame to me. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like um, it's just a happiness of actually being in the present, which is rare, but only by only by glimpsing the horror of the past. Right. That is that's true. It. Yeah, that's a good point. So, um, did you guys see CNBC's Squawk Box this morning? Oh, I watch it every day. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just like wake up in the morning. It's got to get the coffee. You know, Squawk Box immediately on. Obviously. I love. <laughs> Can't wake up without it. <laughs> I love when oh I Googled them. It was like Squawk Box comes on before the market opens. And I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like what is, what does Squawk Box refer to? Like why? That's a terrible name for a show. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds True. shrill, but, uh, that's appropriate. They yeah. were reporting, uh, live from Davos this morning. <laughs> with, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, should we talk about that? We can, we can go ahead and uh, do can. an intro yeah. first. Yeah. So, uh, um, my new favorite program, uh, number one, self-harm hour on cnbc squawk box squawk box yeah Yeah. um so they had a fantastic interview with jamie diamond my guy my guy Jamie Dimon, uh, in which he said that uh, us millennials, we really don't understand socialism. Mm-hmm. And if we only understood, then we would know that socialism will, you know, lead to an erosion of society, I think, with a capital S. Uh-huh. Yeah. Ooh. There, oh, so there is such a thing as a society. <laughs> we live in it, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> P.S. Um, like, when they had the movie about the financial crisis, Jamie Dimon was played by Bill Pullman. I forgot like, about that. I, mm. th- there's no parody between Jamie Dimon and Bill Pullman. That's, that's a bad choice. Well, I mean... I, I don't know if you could cast anyone to be nearly as awful as Jamie is. He, I mean, he, I'm sure that casting was very intentional because I, w- I would imagine that to the producers of that film, Jamie Dimon played a role for them, not unlike uh, the president of the United States in Independence Day, uh, <laughs> ushering them through an almost impossible fight, unbelievable odds, mm-hmm. um, and ultimately won by uh, the ruling class in the form of Randy Quaid. Yeah, yeah. I always love the 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 Jamie Dimon quote from back in like 2009, where he's like, "JP Morgan would be fine if they would stop only talking about the damn nationalization of banks." Right. As policymakers, I say, where were they? Yeah. (laughs) I was gonna say my favorite part of uh, his. So you did watch Squawk Box today, Phil? (laughs) (laughs) My favorite part of his appearance this morning was uh, someone was like, "Well, do you see? uh, Is there like a what about bubbles, Jamie?" And he's like, "The only bubble I see is in sovereign debt." Is in my bath. What? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Sovereign. Oh yeah. Saying that sovereign his uh, that sovereign debt is a is the only bubble, bubble that gonna, he sees in the U.S. Burst. economy. Yeah. yeah, and then they went on to have the CEO of BP, Bob Dudley, mm-hmm. who um, I think started his role like a month before Deepwater Horizon, or in the midst of it. I can't Something totally like remember. Um, and 
Bob Dudley made this like uh, argument about how the Green New Deal was like unrealistic and he hated it. But then there was this weird thing that happened where the producers were truly like clearly trying to get them to go to commercial. So they like swelled the music really loud and he proceeded to have an argument basically like lying, crossing his fingers behind his back, insisting that, you know, we need to reduce carbon emissions, uh, but there's room. We need just more energy, lots of energy, all sorts of energy going forward. It was really disgusting. I mean, that's like the standard line from all of these uh, energy giant companies, I feel like, which is basically like, oh, yeah, we we embrace uh, renewables. We embrace green energy. But, uh, you know, we need all the different all, uh, we need, everything on the table. Uh, you know, we, we live in a society. We live in a society of different types of uh, mm-hmm. energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to keep all of our types of energy consumption going. And in fact, you should invest in we should invest in renewables so that we can just add on top of the energy we already produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my, uh, as my good friend Jamie Dimon says, you know, uh, capitalism is really the best, most fantastic human invention of all time. And it'll fix everything, especially infrastructure, healthcare, and of course, inner city schools. Now, my question is... This is is, so great. Yeah. Like, isn't it kind of funny that like all of these finance guys lean towards being pretty low-key racist whenever they extol like the virtues of capitalism? Like, why does that happen? Uh, Those two seem to be inextricably related. Maybe it's that they are inextricably related. (laughs) I mean... Are you saying capitalism is racist? Yeah, of course. Cool. But but to what degree do we even, like, care about these these lines from these people anymore? I mean, they're almost, like, always the same. I like it. I I love it, actually. (laughs) If these were, like, watching these, these two things you guys sent me to them, like, it is... They're fantastic because... So, like, when Pew polls people about how they feel about capitalism and socialism right. like it, which which is like funny funny to begin with because like how often do people think about abstract economic systems right. rarely yeah. um favorability towards capitalism nationwide is like around hovers around 60 percent favorability towards socialism hovers around 40 percent right yeah but like of course no one's thinking about these things right so the great right. thing about it is like i love that these incredibly unpopular ghouls are out there talking about how capitalism is good and socialism (laughs) is bad. It's the best thing that could like in terms of like the war of position, they are, they are playing it. I mean, like if you really think that people like the CEO of BP or (laughs) the like, like JP Morgan, they, they like identify with these people. Um, I think that's not true. I could be proven wrong on that, but like <laughs> the fact that they're out there extolling the virtues of capitalism and saying the socialism sucks is probably the best thing to happen to socialism since, um, socialism. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you guys catch any of the, co- catch any commercials before these clips? Cause I thought it was pretty telling. I saw you watching one for a private jet. Yeah. Oh, really? I cool. think the commercials are pretty telling how, how what the, that? what the audience, um, makeup of CNBC's squawk box is because i got two private jet commercials that implied uh very heavily um that flying private is the only safe way to fly your children over the atlantic ocean right are these like competing companies (sighs) no it was two different commercials from the same company we all know competition's not real right folks yeah (laughs) it was like all our pilots only fly one model of airplane and never have to fly two flights back to back. 
fly with us because you'll have peace of mind with a rested pilot and your family in the safest hands. (laughs) And then like a child pokes out from behind a, a, a plane seat that is clearly two seats facing two seats like on an Amtrak, which means like it's definitely um, a chartered plane. Right. right? And the child, the little blonde Aryan child pokes out with a little (laughs) airplane and he's like zooming it around and it's like, protect your family. Oh my God. Fright, fly charter. Because once in a while you must look at the child you have made. (laughs) You don't do it most of the time, but uh, once in a while you must look at him. You know very well well that the, uh, the air Line staff and uh, the pilots are being horribly exploited. In fact, you're probably the one doing it to them. Why don't you fly in style? Yeah. Peasants fly commercial energy for sure. Yeah. Should um, we get started? So yeah, cool. let's go ahead and get started. So cool, <laughs> right? So fucking cool. Oh boy. All right. Welcome to the Death Panel, broadcasting live from Davos and the official podcast of the World Economic Forum. <laughs> you can support the show by leaving us a rating and review and becoming a patron, patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. I'd like to thank our sponsor for today, CNBC's Squawk Box. God. Just kidding. Here in Davos, having my opera ski, Yeah. you know, yeah. My, little, my little opera ski. Finding out how the other half lives. Yeah, uh, we're just kicking back. Reading um, some new rules for protests. Which Davos are we at? The secret Davos or the here's, here's the thing. You don't Davos. know which Davos you're in until afterwards. Right. <laughs> you you Davos, won't know. Dav- Davos is a society. Yeah, Davos is like that, uh, that Michael Douglas movie, The Game. Actually, <laughs> you don't. We're in Davos right now. We don't uh-huh. know it yet, uh-huh. but we're here. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know. So it's like simulation theory, except for the simulation is Davos. Exactly. 30% right. chance yeah. you're in Davos right now. You don't exactly. know Exactly. Okay. I'm, no, I'm okay with that sure. conceptual <clears throat> framework for the yeah. rest of my life. Sure. Great. <laughs> totally. Done. Beliefs adopted. Moving on. Um, let's talk Joe Biden. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Joe Biden... Joe Biden and Joe took the bait. Joe did take the bait. I was joking to myself and I thought you would appreciate this, Phil, that he's like becoming the Fernand Mondego of the Democratic establishment. Because <laughs> <laughs> like every I don't know, like for real, though, like so uh, Bernie Sanders released some receipts. Uh, we've talked about this on, I think, two of our most recent episodes. You know, Joe Biden has a long history of advocating to to cut spending on social security yeah and to and make it optional for certain people or and we've been talking about how like the cnn takedown night had been kind of unfortunate because uh it ended up distracting from what was clearly being teed up which was like a uh, on-air throwdown between right S- uh, sanders and biden on social security like in and the, the whole last the whole like warren can women win situation kind of derailed that and yeah. robbed us frankly of a juicy opportunity to watch him squirm live yeah. on television and now we get to finally have that conversation we always wanted about how extremely horny Joe Biden is for freezing cost of living increases. 
Uh, yeah, which um, are, are super generous to begin with. Right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think my cost of living increase on my SSDI this year, I know it's not the same as Social Security payments, but it's like all relative, uh, was I think uh, $19. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's like less than uh, like like a a New York City apartment with like very very generous rent fixing, mm-hmm. uh, like rent price increase fixing would would literally rise faster than social yeah. Security I've never had. Rise. I don't think I've ever had an apartment that rose like where the rent rose anywhere near that low in a year. It was yeah. usually like a hundred dollars or something. Right. Yeah. And anyways. So the official first attack ad of the 2020 cycle was released by the Biden campaign. Yep. Um, basically, <laughs> you guys, you guys want to hear some of it? Uh, oh, yeah. Why don't you play it? Play it. Go for it. As Democrats, we can't launch dishonest attacks against fellow Democrats. We have to beat Donald Trump. Hasn't stopped us now before. Bernie's campaign has unleashed a barrage of negative attacks on Joe Biden. They've even accused Joe Biden of supporting Paul Ryan's cuts to Social Security. Which he totally Bernie's did, campaign though. is not and telling the truth. And worse, actually. Joe Biden has repeatedly yeah. voted to save Social Security. Uh-huh. He and President Obama beat back Republican attempts to privatize it. Uh-huh. And in 2012, Joe Biden even said he didn't support those cuts to Paul Ryan. We will be gotcha. no- Bernie's negative attacks won't change the truth. Joe Biden is still the strongest Democrat to beat Donald Trump. Cool. I really dig the pure Ugh. mood soundtrack there too. That's <laughs> it was very um, like corporate training video. Yeah. Energy wise. Yeah. So I mean, like it, this attack ad. That's basically saying, stop being mean to me, kind of. Well, it's trying to, I mean, they had in the days prior to this, uh, tried a line that the Sanders campaign had like faked a video. So like, I mean, this, this whole idea that like Bernie was putting out videos that were somehow faked in some way. I mean, it really actually, the, the cuts that they made to the videos, if anything, eliminated parts that were even more damning. Uh, to Biden, right? Right. Like if you exactly. look at the actual text yeah, of these speeches, yeah, the editing was generous. There, there's at least one where it's it's much what he's saying about Social Security. It's it's even clearer that that he favors cuts effectively. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I guess Paul Krugman has demanded that Sanders' campaign apologize as a result of this whole situation. Now, yeah, I mean right. that was also like a couple of days ago before the like when when Biden was. That's what I'm saying. When Biden was trying the line of like. Oh, this these was videos doctored, are doctored. Yeah. yeah, which is the it's so it's so ridiculous how that's always like the I feel like that is that's that's the same go to that people have uh, as like bots or something like everything that doesn't fit uh, like squarely with the like liberal interpretation of the world, basically like the establishment uh, powerful liberal or something interpretation of the world is always waved away like hand waved as oh, it's, it's like a it's a coordinated effort by bots or something mm-hmm. or it's like oh that was a doctored video well it sounds a whole lot like fake news yeah yeah no yeah. it's it's really like and, and yeah, the thing the is like thing. and it would be different if biden's record were somehow like ambiguous you know i was like okay right, like yeah. you know that it would be still a weird charge but like you know i actually didn't even know the extent to which or the number right. of like 
fairly like politically toxic votes he has like taken on cutting social security like freezing cost of living adjustments like with remarkable consistency too right i i just kind of find it like beautifully bold though that like paul krugman is the one calling for an apology because of quote-unquote doctored footage less than like a week after he like made a public announcement that he had been hacked and the hacker had downloaded child pornography (sighs) onto his like personal computer yeah it's just like a little too obvious. Wonder if the Times ever found that guy. The Times is on it. <laughs> right. Rest assured, the Times fighting for the justice of Joe Biden. That's going to be and like the 1619 the- project next year. Like who who uh, called Paul Krugman? Anyway. Best part about the Times though is like it was just a few years ago, and it's like very funny in the context. It was just a few years ago that the Times released an editorial like vocally supporting Bernie Sanders plan to like expand social security, his sustainable expansion plan. So it's like really, it's, it's fun. It's funny to me that these attacks come from this place, but then you sort of see that like when the plan is like less important and the, and it's a presidential election that, that there's no right. Exactly. uh, Sort of like there's uh, it's always going to, there will always be a political realignment among the establishment class or something whenever, uh, you know, whenever their favored candidate or their line is threatened. Right. Yeah. I mean the, the energy, of the Biden ad is just like indignant entitlement too yeah. and I feel like that was very much also the, the the vibe of the way that the New York Times editorial board endorsement circus was shot too right was like it's sort of this like air of like finger waggy I know better condescension that seems like very much a part of their strategy right now mm-hmm. whether they're coordinating or not like they're all sort of on this collective uh wavelength you right. know what I mean and that's why I was saying it reminds me of like Count of Monte Cristo because I was thinking like when uh when the character is confronted for like taking away Edmund's whole life he's like all right kill me but remember Remember the blood you spill is noble blood and you're a fucking peasant commoner, whatever, something that that effect. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So that yeah, Paul Krugman's article is that basically. Yeah, basically. Remember the blood you go for is is noble blood. Yeah. (laughs) But it's also like, you know, oh, I'm sorry that we have to remind you that not just Joe Biden, but many Democrats have, you know, historically supported some of the most politically what ended up being the most like politically toxic and unpopular uh, like policy proposals related especially to social security like obama for example back in like 20 20- 10 2011 yeah he had a like a very clear line in the sand that he was willing to like cut Social Security by, you know, this statistical adjustment called chained CPI, which if you haven't Mm -hmm. heard of or don't know about, you know what, let's not even bother. Let's not even bother (laughs) talking about what it is. It's just a cut to Social Security dressed up as statistics. That's all you need to. I mean, it's basically just a, a way of adjusting the way that inflation is factored into the formula that determines the benefits that you get that would ultimately mean lower uh, benefits for everybody. And the only reason that Obama relented at all on this was that you had a group like Social Security Works, uh, this this activist group, like pushing back really hard and like actually illustrating like, no, this is unpopular. Democrats have a sort of weird, bad habit of thinking that somehow they have to like to be an quote unquote adult in the room is to accept the lie that social security uh, is unsustainable. The, the the deficit is a thing that matters, 
and that the way that we're going to deal with the deficit, even if it do, if we do agree that it does matter, is by like raising the retirement age or somehow yeah. like cutting the already paltry benefits that Social Security <laughs> provides. Yeah, like or means like, testing them. Right. Just, you know, a simple means test. Yeah, rejecting the like. Well, you don't want to be paying for the Social Security payments of millionaires and billionaires, Rege- don't you? Rejecting like one of the few universal programs that we actually uh-huh. have in the United States. I think it's worth um, looking since, you know, we we talked about um, Biden's res- record on Social Security um, in a previous episode. And we played that clip, which I think personally is the most damning. Well, they're all pretty damning. Oh, frankly, yeah. The one where he whispers. The one. Yeah. The one where he's like, <laughs> you got the whisper song. Yin Yang twins. <laughs> <laughs> God. No, I mean, um, I'm like, wait, sorry, go ahead. But, <laughs> but I think it's worth like going through, uh, it's relatively quick, but like going through how like really consistent this is as a pattern over the course of his, uh, like time in government. Yeah. Like one of the first, uh, times when he's on record calling for, uh, freezes to cost of living adjustments and, uh, assen- like essentially like potentially cutting social security, uh, and Medicare is, uh, 1984, mm-hmm. uh, when he, like when, when he's in Congress, 1995, he voted for, uh, the balanced budget amendment, um, which he like twice before had like literally said on the floor would lead to freezes and reductions Mm -hmm. later that year after the vote he like bragged of multiple times having tried to cut social security (laughs) saying quote when i argued that we should freeze federal spending i meant social security as well i meant medicare and medicaid i meant veterans benefits i meant every single solitary thing in the government and i not only tried it once i tried it twice I tried it a third time and I tried it a fourth time. Like <laughs> he's bragging about it. And as yeah. I, I mean, as I pointed out, I think this was actually literally, I think last week's public episode, but it would be one thing if Biden was saying, you know, my remarks were taken out of context. Um, this, you know, doctored is definitely a bridge too far, regardless of your uh, Senate record. But um, if you had a Senate record like Bernie Sanders, it would be much more believable to make this correction so many years later that something was taken out of context. Unfortunately, though, Biden's record and current staff reflects a deep, (laughs) a deep seated commitment to cutting these universal benefit programs like um, uh, Bruce Reed, who is a key architect of the disastrous Simpson Bowles proposal, which I think was attempted four times to be only to be shot down every single time is his top policy aide on listed on his website so he's basically like saying it's like once you realize that it's basically like biden is saying like hey i'm running on cutting your social security i hired the guy whose main uh, like qualification was having done this (laughs) right who tried for 10 years to do this worse too. Yeah, totally. And then on top of it, if you count all of the times that Biden personally indicated that Social Security and Medicare could be on the table during the Obama administration, like uh, as recently as 2013 with the grand bargain crap. Yeah. You know, it's like just laughable well, in, that. Sorry, go ahead. And in 2007, he made statements saying that uh, if he was, because he was running for, uh, he was like running for president, I think early on in that Democratic primary. Oh, I really? Believe. I totally forgot about yeah, that. Yeah. And he was saying things like, um, if, you know, if I was elected uh, in order to like uh, make these like 
mythical compromises or whatever that he now touts as being like Republicans coming to their senses after the age of Trump. But it seems like it was basically the same line back then. Like I would, he said that uh, he would touch the uh, political quote third rail of uh, trying to, wow. of uh, being open to like cutting or freezing. Good uh, old Diamond Joe Biden, ready to and, take one for yeah. the team. Uh, and the thing is, like, they would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids. You know, it's yeah, like yeah. Totally. Th- this is this is the thing is that like somehow at some point Biden and other establishment Democrats became convinced that this was. And like, who knows whether or not they, what they became convinced of, uh, but they became convinced of somehow like represented either the only way of like, you know, defending the welfare state was by mm-hmm. cutting it, uh, which is Orwellian, um, <laughs> right. or that there was this somehow this mythical moderate voter. I just, I'm, I've been like watching like nineties movies about politics. And I feel like there is this like <laughs> mythical, like have you ever seen like Dave, like with, okay? um, with Kevin awful. Klein. Uh, no. and like, there, I feel what? like Dave, it's this, it's a movie where a guy like, um, he is sort of like an identical twin of the president. The president has a heart attack and then he like takes the role but like i feel like in the 90s oh my god like you could remake that with like julian and juan castro well i feel like that's like 10 disney original movies or something (laughs) yeah it's very very disney parent trap to politics right but he's supposed to be just like this regular guy like you know sort of like a child of the 60s like boomer kind of guy real bob roberts what is he about and like what does he really care about it's sort of like bob roberts except like dave i think is supposed to be like a clintonite democrat right Um, (laughs) and um or at least like a sort of like a, a George H.W. Bush type Republican so, somewhere in that. The thing, the thing about the nineties is you could never tell. Um, and so like, but like, what is this normal guy about? And he's like, we've got to like cut the, we've got to cut the deficit. It's like, Oh yeah. Normal people like this. And the answer is like, no, normal people hate this when they realize you're taking away their social security. This is the dumbest <laughs> idea ever. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's kind of the funny thing. Cause like on, so on one hand, First of all, I mean, obviously, wow, the the like the person that you definitely want to run against Donald Trump is the person who also like much like Trump will say, oh, I want to protect uh, Social Security and Medicare, but like while holding, you know, his hand behind his back, like fingers crossed and like actually wanting to cut them basically, except for the difference, key difference being, I feel like, you know, when Trump says it, his base tends to believe him that he doesn't want to cut it. And (laughs) Biden, I think Democratic voters realize that Joe Biden would immediately put Social Security on the table. It's Um, not like they have any evidence to go on there. Right. There's plenty of evidence here. Uh, But yeah, uh, but that's just, you know, Artie, that's just good old Diamond Joe. Diamond Joe's been around for 30 years, 40 years. Diamond Diamond Joe's lost multiple family members to his commitment to the American state and American prosperity. That's his he commitment. has put in his time. He ha- he has earned this. Uh, it really sounds like an argument for electing Hillary Clinton. You know, clearly he's a very uh, strong, clear-headed leader because even his family members do not want to burden Social Security in their old age. You know what Joe Biden is? He's so that was brave. extremely mean. I'm sorry. No, you should leave that in. <laughs> yeah, fine. No, but Joe Biden, Joe Biden is so brave to survive, survive his family members to go on to fight benefits that they would have used if they had remained alive. Yeah. <laughs> God. He's earned it. 
He's totally earned it. I mean, really, though, it is. Uh, I bring this up because it's kind of that thing. It's similar to what you were saying at the beginning, Phil, where um, it's it's like nice to see these people like Jamie Dimon and like the head, the the outgoing head of BP. Um, telling themselves like, like this. Yeah, telling, yeah. Telling on themselves because it is like, oh, yeah, go ahead. Like, go ahead and say this. Like, go ahead and say that, like, the Green New Deal is never going to happen and that socialism sucks because, like, no one likes you, bud. Um, so, <laughs> right. like. I don't know, kind of in a similar way almost to like how, you know, how uh, I mean, hopefully this will bear out in uh, the coming months. But it seems like um, after the pretty much overt attacks by CNN on Sanders during the last debate, his popularity actually went up, you know, <laughs> like his support has actually increased, I wonder which why. obviously is also could also just be due to like the ground game getting like hope you know, much bigger now, but still, you know, uh, I mean, also like, I think one of the things that I've got, I get a lot of DMS about is, um, how do I convince my like 30 year Dem establishment parents that they are voting against their own self-interest if they support someone like Joe Biden. Right. And I always tell them like, just sit your parents down and look on, you know, look up the staff members writing policy right. and just start looking up with them together, you know, Take a look together. Don't don't be didactic. If you start looking up their policy people, their teams, it becomes very, very clear very quickly, um, you know, what each campaign has in mind. Right. right. You know, like Biden has Bruce Reed. Right. Mm-hmm. Architect of cuts to Social Security. Bernie has uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who calls himself chief of receipts. <laughs> Who like oh Warren Gunnels yeah Warren Gunnels, Warren Gunnels. Yeah. yeah like I'm sorry like there's just no comparison yeah. there uh, yeah exactly the postmaster general is just a guy who's on Twitter all the time etc no but like also <laughs> like kidding, if you but... go to like Gunnels Twitter timeline it's just like all sources and ba- you know what I mean oh, yeah. like I yeah mean, to be frank you know it seems like they have good like how to put it like um, Sanders's policy team is working on stuff Biden's policy team is working on spin I guess is my point. Right. Well, right. Also, I, mean, I mean, they're pretty separate. Like those. I mean, I think I don't even think Gunnels is on like the policy side. I feel like they're just like they're he and a couple of other people seem, at least from their Twitter presence presences. Uh, other than you know, obviously, I know that like Sirota writes speeches, but like uh, most of his Twitter presence literally just seems to be like okay, screenshot this article and then like this other article and just like the the two uh, the contrast of the two shows the obvious hypocrisy or something of like whatever story is trying to be trumpeted against uh, either against the Sanders campaign or in the name of like protecting wealth and class interests. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, Warren Gunnels is formally a senior policy advisor to the campaign. Uh, anyway, yeah, but I mean, like, but I think when it comes down to it, like, if you ask folks parents like why they are you know insistent on the idea that they're going to vote for biden if they are um i think it comes down to they there's a belief about electability which crumbles on further inspection right at the end of the day you know that one thing we saw last in the last election is that donald trump made completely incredible commitments to protecting social security and medicare and medicaid even though we know he has done the opposite in every single direction on that but but if he is running against somebody and that person has a record that is quite frankly assailable especially on social security that is a vulnerability i don't see how you 
don't view that at the very least, even if you don't support Sanders or whatever, that's a vulnerability for a Democrat. And, yeah. But uh, but but Phil, he's going to reach across the aisle and, and get a Republican running mate so that that that'll be OK. Right. That makes him even more electable. It's magic of compromise. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so should we should we move on to other before, news in Joe Biden before before we move on? Um, I want to I want to put a pin in the latest development in this uh, ongoing saga, which I'm sure will only get like more frustrating um, as time goes on, which is that, you know, as, as we said with the timeline, basically, you know, for actually for weeks, really, like a bunch of left Twitter and uh, staffer uh, staffers for the Sanders campaign, you know, we're posting these videos of, you know, from Biden's congressional records, shit from like C-SPAN or whatever, uh, of him advocating for cuts to Social Security. And Biden attack, went on the attack saying that those were doctored. They, you know, it like, has gone back and forth to the point that, yes, Sanders uh, released this, like, released a first, like, video ad basically saying, like, try, like, setting the record straight. Um, Biden has now responded, it seems. Oh, dear. Um, Biden's campaign has gone to Bloomberg of all places. Oh, cute. For uh, an article which... Uh, Maybe that's what he means by a Republican. As of Mikey. This, uh, uh, for an article which as of this uh, as of this recording has basically just posted um, which is headlined like Biden, Sanders once urged social security adjustments um, and basically it seems like in order to uh, get back at them and they doctored their own footage actually (laughs) (laughs) no it's not actually doctored but it's uh they pulled it seems like they found one quote where bernie says the word adjustments which as we mentioned before is a is a catchword for cuts but it's funny because it appears (laughs) as though the use of the word adjustments in the sentence uh you know abridged with like social security Mm -hmm. was about cost of living adjustments wait do you have the quote um, oh yeah please pull it up it's literally Uh, While running for re-election in 1996, then-Congressman Sanders said at a news conference that Social Security system had been adjusted before and adjustments will have to be made again. That's it. That's, like, all they found. Also, also there's, like, speeches from him from the same year advocating for no cuts to Social Security. And I think it's worth noting that in 2013, when the, what is it, the grand bargain was on the table, Mm. Bernie Sanders is the one who was, like, outside of... The oh, White yeah. House organizing in opposition to yeah. cutting he, he Social and Security. Progressives too, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's uh, is, so again, back to my point. If you have a different Senate career, sure, yeah. you could argue the footage is doctored. If you have Joe Biden's Senate career, you literally fucking can't. If you're going to come for the king, make it count. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Um. So moving on to more news in Joe Biden. Welcome to the death panel, your number one news source for all things Joe Biden all of the time. Uh, he told on himself and proved the point. He argued for Medicare for all by accident this weekend as well. Mm-hmm. Um, did anyone catch that? Oh, yeah, this is great. This is one of the best PR moves ever. Oh, it wasn't this weekend. It was uh, it was in the uh, New York Times 
endorsement interview. Oh, really? Yeah, this was part of this was one of the uh, one of the first things that a bunch of people were pulling along with like because uh, you know as we talked about the uh, New York Times endorsement process uh, reality TV show in our last episode, which I highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, the the season finale of the New they, York Times. Well, they yeah, <laughs> they they released all the transcripts of like the full conversations with them, and in addition to this like very funny thing where like uh, Biden's cell phone starts ringing and he doesn't know what it is and one of the so New York good. Times interviewers tells him oh that's your phone your staff is trying to get in touch with them with you and he's like oh your um, staff is asking you to please stop talking right now in addition to that um in addition to that he kind of tripped over his own words when asked about choice in healthcare saying that essentially, well, no, 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 you need choice. People love their employee-sponsored insurance, and you can keep your plan, but only if your employer doesn't take it away. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Um, literally, no. a, literally a single-payer advocate I line. mean, I was going to say, I, I feel like I've uh, I've said that line at least three or four times in the past month. Thanks, uh, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Yep. We agree. Anyway. So this the is only good. time Joe Biden's ever been right. <laughs> Maybe that's um, a, you do love when they make their argument. You make when they make your argument for you, don't you? Yeah. It's so it's so nice. Should we use that as a springboard to make our announcement? Oh yeah, I think that's a great time. I mean, Q fanfare. What a yeah. fantastic segue, Artie. So I think it's worth mentioning that we have some very exciting stuff coming up. Yep. Um, um, patrons will know this already a little yeah, bit because we, we talked about, about this, this on our patron episode from earlier the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a very special limited series coming to you in early February from the Death Panel. Yep. The Death Panel presents Medicare for All Week. It's Woo! like Shark Week for healthcare. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're really excited. Uh, we have been sitting down with some fantastic guests. It has been so much fun. And I'm so excited to start releasing these interviews because they're fucking fantastic. Yep. Do you want to kind of explain like our project and why we're doing this already yeah so the idea was essentially um so it's going to start on february 3rd um february 3rd you will know as the day that iowa happens that the mm-hmm. iowa caucus uh caucuses take place um and the idea is that basically for uh you know i mean once iowa starts we are gonna be even more in hell world than we already were oh yeah ninth circle <laughs> but, for sure um once but once iowa starts it's like you know it's the it's the first one so there's a bit more than a week in between iowa and new hampshire i think eight days or something like that mm-hmm. um so the idea is sort of like fuck the polls fuck the hand ringing um there's gonna you know there's gonna be like a terrible news cycle around this as like everything regardless of what happens really Right. It doesn't regardless, matter. regardless of the uh, quality, let's say, of the outcome, <laughs> uh, it's going to be an agonizing, terrible news cycle experience. And so um, the death panel is here for you. Yeah. So we're here for you. Um, the intention is essentially to like it's it's like very much a eyes on the prize kind of thing. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Like, let's let's just uh, dedicate a whole bunch of programming to the ins and outs of the Medicare for all policy, give people stuff to get jazzed up about. You know. Yeah. One, one of the reasons I, I think this is going to be good is that like in in my world, I, I read a lot of uh, analyses that have like the the tone of sobriety in them. <laughs> and, and they're like, if you really if you really think about it, mate, 
Medicare for all ain't going to pass. You know, that this is like, uh, they, they're like, if you really think about it, some men, if you really think about it, watch the world burn. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so like, if you really think about it, it's not going to happen. And I, I thought, let's really think about it. Um, right. let's really interview people <laughs> who have been thinking about it and understand this space because we're not naive. We know that there, this is, there are political challenges in the world. There right. are foes and mm-hmm. uh, anything worth doing is and usually pretty difficult. But let's really think about right, it. And there, I, yeah, and there are a lot of fake friends out there. A lot there. of fake friends. There are, true. Like the Commonwealth Fund, which we'll talk about We will later. get to that later. Put a pin <laughs> in the Commonwealth Fund. I'm so excited for that. Anyway. But it's almost like kind of the perfect time. We... We need, I personally need an alternative to the horse race narrative that will be prevalent that week. And I'm sure I will yeah, be quite anxious. Totally. So it's partially a personal mental health resource, but also we thought it could sort of do some good to the community. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, we have this moment right now, this very sort of special moment where we're in the beginning of a new year. Everyone has hit their deductible. Everyone has a new formulary. Everybody or some people have different insurance. Some people now have no insurance. Right. Right. We're all relearning whatever horror it is we're going to experience for the rest of this calendar year. Yearly trauma. On top of that, we have a unprecedented, you know, mass movement campaign behind this issue, you know, uniting both providers and patients and nurses and, you know, public health experts and teachers and everyone except for private insurance companies and hedge funds and Jamie Dimon, you know, so it's kind of like the perfect moment to really sit down and, and both do a comprehensive overview, but also provide sort of like a, a roadmap. Yeah. You know, let's cover the full arc of why now, why here and why is it possible? Right. And why is it, absolutely urgent you know what i mean totally so we're really excited for that that'll be coming to you february 3rd through february 11th and um, roughly yeah roughly and stay tuned for more we're gonna have like lots of exciting stuff so yeah. it'll be really fun totally moving on back it was like a good ad read i feel like that was like we don't do yeah, ad totally. reads but that was we a good one exactly we don't do ad <laughs> reads we will do uh we will self-promote we will shamelessly self-promote uh the <laughs> Things like this special event series, uh, like blockbuster policy uh, discussion programming. I mean, it would be a public disservice if we didn't promote this because we got some really fucking good interviews for this series. Yeah. Like, also, I, the, just to say, like, in or like, ju- like we don't do ad reads <laughs> in order to do things like this interview series. Thank you so much to all of the people who are patrons. Become if you're a not, patron. Yeah, if you're not a patron up, if you if you like the show, uh, help us support it and do lots of good stuff like this in the future. Yep. Anyway. And uh, uh, patrons, don't worry. Your regular patron episode will come out that week, and oh, we can all hopefully. mourn yeah. or celebrate Iowa together. Yeah. Right. Because uh, ultimately, it doesn't matter who wins Iowa at the end of the day. That's right. Yeah, that's true. The news cycle is going to be shit about, either way. As we talked about in the last episode, in the <laughs> most recent patron episode, we may not know who really won Iowa. Anyway, <laughs> so, um, Winning yeah. Iowa is the friends you make along the way. Yeah, exactly. Oh God. I, mean, I mean, literally. Yeah. Yeah. So should we go ahead and, and move on into uh, uh, our next main topic, which is this little series brought to you by the good folks at Vox Media. Um, oh boy. So they they received a big grant to do this in-depth investigative series, right? Mm-hmm. 
called Everybody a Covered. A big grant, you say? A big grant, yeah. They mention mm, in the beginning that it's funded by a generous grant from something by called the Commonwealth Fund, which we will get into. But I think before we get into what this foundation that funded this series is, let's go ahead and talk about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. I wanted to focus on Maryland and the Netherlands. Sure. Which one do we want to tackle first? To, to back up real quick, though, okay. this is like, in terms of our show, file this under media criticism <laughs> or something. <laughs> this is, you know, we, we've groused a lot on the show in the past about people like Matt Iglesias, uh, also just news institutions like Vox, um, which mm-hmm. kind of do a lot of the work of um, dressing up the liberal pro hyper capitalist and like means testing reforms that people like, I don't know, Center for American Progress or something put mm-hmm. out. And so, yeah, they have since considering that they have this uh, not, uh, you know, it doesn't seem coincidentally timed at all a uh, series about other ways that you could get to quote unquote universal coverage. Um, yeah, definitely in the not, States. not co- a coincidence at right. all. Uh, we wanted to um, dispel a couple of them. I think. Yeah, I wanted to just read sort of their uh, intro summary for the series. Uh, You hear it all the time. American healthcare spends more money and produces worse outcomes than many other developed countries' systems. But why? What have other countries done to achieve universal health care, to cover everybody that the United States has not? And what are the consequences of these choices? To answer these questions, Vox reporters traveled the world last fall to see other health systems in action, talking with doctors, patients, and government officials to get the full and often complex picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Uh, it right. seems at the surface to be um, pretty noble pursuit, right? In, into Let's it, be fair. You know? Sure. Like totally. <laughs> We're going to stop being fair in a second. <laughs> yeah, into into research. Like research is good. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and get into the Netherlands article. So this series um, is going to go th- goes through like Taiwan, Netherlands, Maryland. There will be an NHS one coming out. Um, and I think Australia, Australia. Yeah. I think there's one more that I'm forgetting, but, um, the Netherlands one is called how the Netherlands or the Netherlands has universal health insurance and it is all private. Oh boy. So they go on to detail, um, sort of the recent history of health insurance in the Netherlands, making sure to talk about how they had a public option, which sort of imploded then created a two-tiered healthcare system, and their centrist-leaning right-wing majority government reformed that into some sort of unusual universal private coverage model, Mm. um, which in the most horrifying of ways appears to cover everyone except for 1% of the population, and if you forget to pay your premium, they garnish your wages? And then automatically will cool. like re-enroll you in some in like a random private uh, <laughs> health insurance option at a 20% additional uh, fee. What the fuck? On top of your regular room. Yeah, pretty fucked up. I mean, that's nudge <laughs> economics, I think, in or nudge governance, I guess, in in action, right? I mean, I think what's fu- what's kind of like fucked up about this that this like really leaves out a lot is that one of the reforms, like basically, you know, in like 2006, they moved to this 
system. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is very recent, but in 2006, basically they moved to this, re- this system where they tried to do this, like, you know, quote unquote managed markets, um, thing managed competition, managed yeah. competition, right. Where it's like, uh, you have, you have all these company that are pro- companies that are providing essentially like health insurance. Um, it's like slightly different, obviously from, the United States and it's profoundly cheaper still than the United States, but costs are rising dramatically. And what's funny that I think is left out of this article is that like, it actually seems more or less like the Netherlands is a ticking time bomb yeah, right now. Same. Like, right. Uh, premiums and out of pocket stuff are skyrocketing. Uh, I was, I was looking at a, I was looking at a study on NCIB and like, it basically seems like one of the ways that they have managed to like, kind of keep this, uh, managed, uh, system of private, companies afloat managed competition right this managed competition system afloat is literally by stripping out and separating protections for like both mental health services and for uh long-term care wow that sounds like the aca yeah um and it seems like also uh in the in the years like following the financial crisis uh the like health sector was had its budget like significantly reduced to the point where like Essentially, uh, it how to put it. It it sounds like, for instance, like physician training right now, which Mm -hmm. is managed by the state in the Netherlands. They like in order to in order to institute like budget cuts, they basically made it so that like the requirements for physician training are lower, or for like medical uh, services training are lower, and like the amount of time that you actually spend in the program is less. Mm -hmm. um, That sounds like like, a really smart idea that will improve outcomes. And that also sounds like a place (laughs) that you can just keep drawing cuts from. Mm. (laughs) Sure. Um, but All they need to know is first aid, right? Everything else they can do telehealth with doctors in the United States who are in so much crushing debt from medical school that they can't afford to do anything else. And despite this, not only are... Uh, Welcome to Netherlands. We're going to show you a picture of a doctor. That's the new thing is that we'll show you a picture yeah. of doctor. And- but like, and despite this all, like, again, uh, costs for insurance and uh, out-of-pocket costs are going up. Literally in this article, which was, it was very funny reading this NCIB study because they're trying to be as neutral as possible. But they keep using terms like, uh, the Netherlands achieved this by shifting costs to the patient. (laughs) There's like very few ways to neutrally pass that information off as like not terrible. (laughs) Exactly. And meanwhile, it's like, sorry, one last thing. And meanwhile, it's like, it's, uh, it's grown from something like 24% of their economy to 29%. So yeah, I mean, I mean, the other thing is that like, even I found it interesting in the article, because the article makes sort of generous, u- the articles make generous use of data from the Commonwealth Fund, which does international right. surveys of doctors and patients. And like one of the things it finds in the Netherlands is that doctors spend significantly more time on billing and this sort of the costs <laughs> of administration and overhead are like 20 percent higher in the Netherlands than comparable countries so i mean this is uh i mean it's i actually read this article the netherlands thing is the the packaging of it is somewhat like oh here's this other way of doing things but it's like okay here's another it's yeah i guess in some way you could say it's another way of doing things but it's uh, many of the key indicators that people care about that matter for their lives it's sort of objectively worse and the articles kind of shows that it is (laughs) yeah absolutely and i think um i forget which one of you guys just pointed this out but it shows like a rapidly uh ticking time bomb for sure oh arnie yeah good point there one of the things that i was kind of confused by is like 
why they felt like this was such a relevant example for the United States, because they even admit in there that like the population density in the Netherlands and infrastructure situation is vastly different than the United States. They don't have anywhere close to a, a rural healthcare problem like we have. Right. Right. And this entire model yeah. and they're like they're talking about, oh, there's all these doctors and and like, you know, who would eventually be like someone who's like an equivalent of a physician's assistant or a nurse practitioner in the United States, you know, doing home visits, right? Yeah. Trying to like bring care to patients and reduce the cost of care, reduce overhead, blah, blah, blah. That would be impossible <laughs> in 90% of the communities that are most in need of the, like physician services in the United right. States. That's, all, that's also the thing that I find the most frustrating about this series because it's like, so this Fox series is called Everybody Covered, right? And the, <laughs> yeah, the, right. the idea Covered. is uh, like putatively the idea is like uh, so th these are different pathways that other, the uh, different solutions that other countries or in one case the state of maryland has found towards uh the packaging says has found towards universal coverage in practice uh like which seems like you know for and considering that i think a lot of people probably just like will see that this article even exists or something and just be like oh that's interesting there's like there are oh, other but Fox said you don't have to, to eliminate the industry of private insurance right. you just have to regulate it and force it to be consciously respectful of people's human rights right but then I mean, you, you then you read these and like 90 percent of these articles is spent being like uh like for instance in the in the in the case of this one the the one with the netherlands most of what they're actually talking about is this kind of like overnight care like triage program for like who needs to actually see someone off hours or whatever when like their general practitioner is not available um and then the one in maryland is like literally just about like a tweak to how hospitals are paid which is only part of the system and doesn't have anything to do really with like quote unquote universal coverage you know what i mean mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, I sort of, I sort of saw. It's interesting because I've, I've a sort of mixed view of this package, and I, I, but I have a very clear view on what I don't like about its implications. So, like, I, when you read the individual articles, the reporting is actually pretty good. Um, it's right. pretty, it pretty, it's, it's, they're well edited, and editors spent time looked at these, and like, there are. There's some clear differences in these uh, systems that the articles spell out. What the packaging of it leads me to think is that one very clear use of this series, it will probably be that like, you know, a Klobuchar, a Biden yeah. is like, these are ready-mades mm -hmm. for, for those things with like in a, in a speech at a, uh, you know, sort of chicken dinner type uh, situation, they can just say like, oh yeah, you don't have to do it that way. There's this Netherlands thing and, and just like ramble off some stories or facts like, oh, they have this thing, what do they do? And it's, uh, I think <laughs> the, um, despite the fact that they're well-reported pieces, what the package implies is that they, these are structural equivalents to right, a system exactly. that right. provides care free at point of service, et cetera. I mean, would it be pushing it a little too far to say that, to be honest, I could totally see like a Warren camp using this as well, you know, as a as a sort of, oh, this is like still preserving choice. This is part of the transition. We just need to do this through regulation. Like, you know what I mean? It's interesting. I, mean, I don't know, because these are these are sort of like little um, they're little model worlds. And they they in a sense, they're like I feel like Warren's 
main sort of through line is about the politics of, of the process or something like that. Whereas these are like, this is more to me, I read these as more of a thing that a Klobuchar could yeah, use exactly. mm-hmm. uh, I think that, or a, I, a Biden could use. I agree. I think that's more realistic, especially considering I've been thinking of even that recent example that we talked about uh, with oh, that we talked about with yeah oh right. that thing? hasn't come out yet have yeah it? has it so um, and one of our upcoming <laughs> medicare for all week episodes uh, well that that makes sense especially well this will be good because then the people can hear it twice i guess so like that makes that would make sense i think more like i agree that would make sense more for uh like a klobuchar or a biden yeah um specifically because we know that for example like the obama administration was so influenced by this like 2009 piece in the new yorker that was about like out of control medical prices in some small town in texas basically um that they that they like literally became convinced i guess through this article and there uh there are quotes in the new york times contemporaneous to this uh saying that like it within the obama administration this one article became like Overuse, overuse, no, quote unquote required reading. Yeah. Um, that basically like it became part of the institutional culture that like part of the thing that they had to fix, uh, in like the implementation of the ACA was medical overuse, right? Like was overuse of, uh, medical services. So I would, yeah, I would also, I would not be surprised if, if, um, I mean, you know, Biden is so sundowning at this point that I could see him being like, Mike, one of my staffers, he told me about this great thing that the Dutch do. <laughs> it's called the universal mandate. Like, <laughs> anyway. Oh God. Should we move on to uh, the article about Maryland? Yeah. Maryland, the Netherlands of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. So, um, does anyone want to sort of background this article? And the sort of situation that they're covering in Maryland. Yeah. So this is like, if you think about the, like the Dutch example is like an example of like, here's a completely different other way of doing universal care that they try to like trot out, which obviously the article shows that it's not that Maryland is like, here's this other thing that we can do that will like put a bandaid on the situation. Um, Mm -hmm. and so like what Maryland has is something that, um, some version of it used to be more common in the United States uh, in the 70s and 80s, but um, they have a way of paying hospitals that's called like all payer rate setting. Right. right. And so the the idea here is that, and this is one thing you hear, um, I think, among healthcare economists specifically. So like in the 90s, the big thing that healthcare economists were on about was like the problem with American healthcare is that people use too much. And then we realized like, Sounds no, that's, familiar. no, no, no. And then Uwe Reinhardt, the economist is like, actually, it's because we charge too much. Uh, we allow <laughs> providers to like exercise almost like monopoly power on what uh, uh, prices we, we charge for services and, and pharmaceuticals. And like one thing that hospitals used to do or one thing that states used to do is like, you know, issue rates, like publish rates or like, here's how much you can Mm -hmm. charge for like a knee surgery. And like Mm -hmm. that gradually eroded over time. But like one of the only states to like keep something like that was Maryland. And they have this thing in Maryland called all payer rate setting. And it is a sort of a, a way of establishing a set of rates uh, across the state uh, for hospitals, right? Right. So to just uh, so we can get maybe like a death panel and uh, our bias explanation of like what all pay rate setting actually is. So it's like a regulatory way to like cap 
uh, provider costs, right? Or is it like yeah, um, exactly. And more that, that's a good way of describing it. Okay. Yeah, because it, it just reminds me, it's so reminiscent of um, like the Trump administration's push to have the hospital price lists made public. Right. You know, it's this sort of practice of spreading the blame to disincentivize people to push for actual change right. and making well, the which, issues seem larger which also and also smaller could, at the same time. Which also this I could see being potentially the kind of thing that would be a Warren plank also, because you know, it is, this is the kind of, uh, again, managed markets uh type of stuff that so um how is it working in maryland <laughs> how's this uh how is healthcare in maryland right now what did uh by incentivizing hospitals to do the right thing did we fix healthcare in maryland is there a panacea among us well like one thing so one thing that all payer rate setting is supposed to do is that you know when when like medicare or medicaid you know cuts rates or puts cost controls in what hospitals do is they shift the cost to private payers, to your insurers, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea of all payer rate setting is it's supposed to eliminate that. And, and one could say that it does, like that actually did go down um, in Maryland. What didn't change or what is, has remained among, you know, sort of the worst in the country is like per capita Medicare hospital costs. Um, hmm. They're still among uh, the country's. Uh, highest. And, you know, one way of thinking about it is this is a, it's not that this is like a, a bad thing necessarily. It's just, there are a lot of aspects of the way that people experience healthcare that this doesn't address. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, to be honest, like I, I kind of, my brain shut down. There's this one line, like a third of the way into the piece where basically they're talking about like different options or something the United, could, United States could do. And this is a direct quote, Medicare for all or quote, a more robust public option. <laughs> the fact that they framed it that way, I was just like, are you fucking serious? And I just shut down. Yeah. You know, like th this. <sighs> well, this is ground zero of equivocation on this, you know. Yeah. It's Vox, so. yeah, no, exactly. Which is why it's so interesting. I mean, who the Commonwealth Fund are, you know yeah. what I mean? The other the other thing that I'll say about this, this all payer rate setting thing, which is something that like health economists like they like and, you know, that's all well and good. Um, but I think the issue is like, let's assume just for the purposes of argument that like St. Peter told us that everything that was wrong <laughs> with healthcare could be solved through all payer rate setting. <laughs> um, this is a policy that if you were to make it like, there's a reason why this doesn't like happen. Right. Which is that like policies that are primarily focused on constraining costs, uh, or, or regulating prices. What they do is they don't really create a constituency of supporters. They're not the kind of thing that people get out there and like go in the streets for. They're not thinking about them at the, at the, the uh, voting booth. They don't have a con natural constituency of supporters because people cannot see how they would benefit from them, uh, if at all. What they do right. have, and they have it in droves, is opponents in the form of like the American Hospital mm -hmm. Association, um, hospitals and health systems uh, around the country. And so like if you don't, even if you assume that the main thing that was wrong with American healthcare was like, you know, the prices are too damn high. Um <laughs> which is not, I want to emphasize it's, that's not the only thing that's wrong with it. Um, 
the politics of doing of like making this the thing that you're going the hill that you're going to die on are just from from the lens of like political scientists this is just, just like political suicide it's one of the dumbest like major things that you could make as part of your program if you're not coupling it to benefits and drawing in like constituencies that like the thing it's just politically dumb right mm-hmm. i mean so i think it's worth saying who funded this right yeah. um so it's an organization called the commonwealth fund let me get my notes here because yeah. i did some digging phil is a academic professional are there any conflicts of interest that you have around? Uh, or, uh, yeah, I actually full full disclosure. I did apply for a grant once from the Commonwealth Fund, got pretty close, and then didn't get it. So, so I'm not gonna sense. like. <laughs> well, then I'll say if they don't, if they, uh, if uh, if Phil wasn't good enough for the Commonwealth Fund, then that tells well, you everything you need. Maybe to know I should have written them. a better grant. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I mean, it makes sense that you would have applied for a grant because they were heavily involved in funding research uh, in support of the ACI. Yeah. Right. The- also, when I say wasn't good enough, I obviously mean maybe you know uh, had a potentially slightly different intellectual or academic objective. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> political kinda- objective. Let's say than Phil might have in doing his research. I don't know when this was. It was actually a pretty vanilla. It was the thing that I wrote was for a pretty vanilla. Like I wanted to create a big database of what states were doing on like uh, pharmaceutical prices, Um, Hmm. which I thought was a pretty good idea. And then I think they funded somebody else to do it. So whatever. Okay. I was going to say maybe they had reason to not have that out in the world. Anyway. No, I actually think that that's something that they they were interested in. But yeah, no, that makes not sense. from not from little old me. So they uh, so they're an organization that is, has been around since like the early 1900s, right? They f- they fund public health research, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I'm going to say from like my diggings, it appears that they sort of lean in the ideological direction of like Center for American Progress, mm-hmm. right? At least they do now. So the first thing that I noticed is like I looked them up because I was like, you know, they they have this huge lead in the beginning of this article and in all the framing of this article that this has been funded by a generous grant from the Commonwealth Fund. And and once I like saw stuff like, you know, uh, Medicare for all or a more robust public option, I was like, who paid for this? They keep mentioning that these people paid for it. Who are these people? And so I just like Googled them and I went on Wikipedia and I was like, oh, let me look at current board members. Mm-hmm. And that's where I got really interested. So I just want to point out and we're going to be very fair here. Right. We're going to be very fair. We're just going to state the facts. Current board members include Benjamin K. Chu, who is the California Regional President of Health Plan and Hospital for Kaiser. Mm. Uh, Simon Stevens, Executive VP of United Healthcare Group and former administrator of the NHS. Oh, boy. Seems like a neutral party to me. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It also involves like several people who are involved in venture capital funds or hedge funds that are specifically um, uh, targeted towards investments in the healthcare sector. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as uh, a couple journalists, you know, it's kind of all over the place. But as I said, leans towards cap, you know, yeah. uh, one of these hedge fund managers uh, runs a fund called Consonance Capital. And they have invested in, you know, just like minor things like buying and selling a bunch of pharmacy benefit managers to like other board members, companies mm-hmm. too, even. Um, so, you know, this is kind of like run and, and you know, sanctioned by a bunch of industry insiders, right? 
And uh, so I was digging around on their website and I found a really cool section um, where they're talking about some of the best new innovation in Medicare Advantage. So I thought it could be fun to share that with you guys. Sure. Ooh, yeah. This is stuff they actively promote or what? So remember, this was a little while ago, we talked about Humana's bold goal. I do remember that. Yeah. Was so, that the was that the one? You know, there there are so many of these awful uh, corporate healthcare initiatives. Was the bold goal uh, the one that was essentially trying to? Uh, oh no, United Health was trying to be the landlord to a bunch of. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, we've had so many conversations about the the healthcare hoarders. Right, bold so, yeah. goal was the uh, the more of like a surveillance uh, one. It right? was the Good Days program, uh, measuring yes. self reporting, uh, how many no good more days. Bad days patients had and sort of creating incentives for more good days and teaching people through heavily through the use of like apps Mm -hmm. um and other like you know software discounts or stuff like fitbits or whatever um you know one of those sort of employee wellness programs but from your insurance company instead right um so the commonwealth fund um was heavily involved in the past couple years in the passage of a bill um known as chronic which stands for something really insane about creating a high quality results and outcomes necessary to improve chronic care act. Um, <laughs> which, Love those recursive acronyms. Yeah. So it became law uh, in 2018 and it basically was a pretty significant shift in Medicare policy that uh, rec- it basically was formal recognition that some things beyond strict medicine improve health outcomes. So, you know, like, food uh scarcity creates worse health outcomes um income issues prevent people from going to the doctor because of transportation you know like pretty basic stuff but what it's um kind of birthed as a result the chronic act has has borne many of these fantastically horrific innovations in medicare advantage plans that we've been talking about for this past year which is kind of the crazy thing Mm-hmm. So chronic act fully kicks in in 2020. So I wanted to just read y'all a little bit about it. So they say uh, bringing new benefits to Medicare Advantage beneficiaries. Medicare Advantage plans have long provided coverage for dental, vision and hearing services that are not covered by traditional limited Medicare. Some plans offer gym memberships, disease management classes, and other benefits. The Chronic Care Act gives new flexibility to offer non-medical benefits, but does not mandate that plans do so or prescribe particular benefits. The new benefits must have a, quote, reasonable expectation of improving or maintaining beneficiaries' health or functioning by targeting their living conditions, nutrition, or other social determinants of health. So... Let's talk about those benefits. So they cheer on Anthem, one of my personal faves, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Anthem, colon, offering a menu of services. Anthem, a national insurer, is an exception to plans that don't offer these benefits. In 2020, Anthem and its affiliates are offering Medicare Advantage members in 14 markets the opportunity to choose at least one new benefit from a menu of 10 options with some variations across markets. You can have, like, this is not even a cat's can have little a salami situation. This is... (laughs) <laughs> oh, which stick this would you like me, to be poked with? 
This right. reminds yeah. me of the Bernie or like it was like a Bernie uh, Buttigieg meme where it's like, can I borrow your charger? Bernie's saying, sure. And, and Buttigieg says, what percentage are you at? So are you guys still with me here? So you can get uh, one benefit no. from a menu of 10 options. Uh, they include for those with certain clinical criteria, access to eight sessions per year with a dietitian, as well as monthly delivery of pantry staples. <laughs> this is beginning to be like, like language poetry or something. I, like, I'm like, <laughs> quarter, another, another option. Remember, you can only pick one quarterly preventative <laughs> treatments to regulate or eliminate household pests that may impact a chronic condition. Uh, another option, a fitness tracker device, as well as membership no, okay. programs. Done. Done. Oh, it gets better to promote physical and mental fitness. Um, other option, up to $500 annual allowance to help pay for items for a member's service dog. That's typically the cost of a service dog in one month. Yeah. Uh, up to, oh, this is the weirdest one, up to 16 delivered meals four times a year, 64 total. What oh, so fuck? it's Blue Apron. Like, what the? Stop, no, but Blue stop. Apron, like, a couple times. Oh, it gets worse. Not even, like, what? It, uh, it's not even like we'll just feed you all the time. It's like we'll give you 16 meals. Four times a year. Okay, what so stay fuck? with me here. I'm going to read this again. Up to 16. Is this knowledge? I'm like, is this knowledge, father? Like, <laughs> Up to 16 delivered meals four times a year for members who are hospitalized, have a body mass index over 25 or less than 18. And have started a small business. <laughs> exactly. In a disadvantaged area, but they also years. have to have received a Pell Grant. Or they could uh, have hemoglobin A1C levels over nine. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, another okay. one. Up to, remember, only one benefit. Up to 61 wait, wait, way. The, wait, was it the food one? Yeah. So you can only get the food if you fall in that specific category. If you are overweight or underweight or have a hemoglobin oh issue and you can only get 16 meals quarterly. I guess uh, I guess 16 meals is more expensive than like a Fitbit. So uh, here's Ugh. our other one. Up to 61 way trips per year. <laughs> Okay. To so health related 30, appointments. 30 trips. So they'll take you there. It's up to you to get yourself home. Right. Um, are you ready it's, for this? It's that staple singer song. I'll take you there, except they don't tell you the, the second point is I won't take you back. You know, they, uh, they say you can never go home again. You know, just making it literal. <laughs> <They> mean it. <laughs> um, up to 124 hours a year of in-home personal care aid for assistance with activities of daily living. Oh my God. So 124 so, hours a like year two weeks or something. of long-term care, home health care. I remember when we sat down with Steve Way to talk about his fight with New Jersey Medicaid to get his personal care hours that he was asking for 60 a week. I yeah. believe. So this is 124, 80, 80, 80, 80 yeah. a week, but they gave him 60. So this is 124 hours of generous in-home health care from Anthem, which would basically be two weeks of Steve's care, which is yeah. just so sweet of them. 120 generous hours for one calendar year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, guys, great. which benefit would you guys pick if you had Anthem? You get to, bet you can't choose just one. This is... Um, yeah. Yeah, no, this well, is not... No. They yeah. don't have a, there's, uh, not another, there's not another tier where you can do a, there's no lunch special, like two and a but this is like, or something. At some point as you started going down this list, that's why I was thinking this is sort of like a, a really bad, like epic poem. Like, 
what 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 is this relate like what what are we trying to sell or do here again i'm like i'm now mm-hmm. lost about what the whole point of also, this right, article what, what was is this, and what is this in relation to the commonwealth fund again the, this understand. is the research that the commonwealth fund has been supporting and the programs it has been supporting through the chronic act All right, okay so this is just now, a, this is just another st- like project that they're working on in conjunction to funding the Vox thing. They have also been working on promoting these initiatives under their chronic act. So do, do, uh, do like Medicare advantage. I know that Medicare advantage plans, like it's a big thing that they offer like a Fitbit or something, uh, instead of, you know, actually covering anything. Mm -hmm. Um, do, are there ones in, effect that do these specific things or is this just a uh, like a suggested template for a menu based system this anthem one took effect in 2019 in 14 markets and is expected to expand to i think 20 in 2020 gotcha um here's another one and this is a local example for you phil uh care a nonprofit health plan based in wisconsin and minnesota they have brainstormed an innovative way to respond to the chronic care act by offering, basically offering acupuncture benefits to members who need help managing pain in order to try and divert people from addictions to opioids. Um, And this is such a generous benefit that they have decided to not market it or advertise that it's happening at all. And they have insisted that they will privately reach out to direct members who they have determined could benefit from this program, which... (sighs) Go ahead. I'm just thinking about the very well-meaning person who did all of this work and did all of this research and spent hours doing this. And then I'm like, okay, you know, yes, you, you've done a hard day's work. Then I think about like anybody who's actually on a Medicare Advantage plan. Right. This is not like, what is, what is the value of this knowledge? Right. And I think the, the only value of this knowledge that I can see is not a value that I judge as valuable, but the value of this knowledge is value for maintaining the common, the so-called common sense of the like the world that we live in. And it's just mm-hmm. like right. you get you you. It's entirely possible to send well-meaning people who have a lot of time and energy and expertise to do this work down this rabbit hole of focusing on little tweaks to Medicare Advantage to I mean, these things do not meaningfully improve the quality of anyone's health or mm-hmm. health care, even if you want to like make that distinction. The and so like it's it's not that this is like I I see this as sort of the uh, like the bana- it's almost like the banality of evil. No, I've been totally. like reading a lot of mm-hmm. art and like this is not it's this is not a group of people who are like nefariously like twiddling their thumbs and trying to think this is not no, the heritage not Fo- evil. This is not the heritage foundation. This is not like the Koch brothers. This is just uh, people for whom the current system works either because they are uh you know an administrator at some level of it or they're an expert who has spent their entire career studying mastering and then becoming a broker for other people trying to understand the system we've created that makes no sense and the the thing is like there's there's this whole group of people out there who have a lot of time and energy and expertise that could be purposed towards actually building a different 
world, a different kind of system. Right. And instead, instead, all of that knowledge, all of those years of school, all of those years of like <laughs> actually studying the system are being wasted on defending what is indefensible. Yeah. No, I mean, these these, these quote unquote benefits or like the menu packages or whatever to the, these Medicare Advantage plans are like so brazenly skimpy basically Mm -hmm. to be like to be like clearly just uh for the benefit of you know saving like saving the profit of uh whatever uh plan is like being or of whatever company is administering this like medicare advantage plan to Mm -hmm. be that it's like offensive basically i mean they're like the fucking like a fucking like GameStop customer rewards program is more <laughs> generous than this. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, that's like, very true. Like some of the other things that they've done um, have been like funded studies that provided data that backed up that expansion of like private urgent care facilities improved health outcomes. Uh-huh. And now, and I man, I mentioned like Consonance Capital, which is one of these uh, VCs, Consonance Capital. right? That they sounds own, like a Christopher they Nolan bought CityMD. And then they contribute money to an organization that paid for a study that said that you needed to build more city MDs and that cities and states should be contributing funds and subsidies to build city MDs. And there's a guy on the Just board urgent care for who, people own, who, are right, in New York. Yeah. who own who owns the product they're advocating for. Yeah. Right. So, so the last thing I wanted to, to just bring up and then I promise I'm done. I have no more pain for you guys. But, um, so this whole thing, this chronic act is actually inspired by our favorite bold goal from Humana. And (laughs) yeah, which, so the bold goal started in 2015 and, um, (laughs) we unfortunately missed one of the most horrific aspects of it when we were covering it. And I literally have no idea how, what is it? What's so something worse than like monitoring patient days to uh, I'm make afraid. sure that yeah. they're healthy more um, days than they are not, even if they're unhealthy all the time. In Tampa, Humana invites seniors that fla- that its data flag as being at risk for loneliness to join a grandkids on demand program. <laughs> what? In which college students. No offer companionship, help with chores, technology lessons, and other support. And in Knoxville, Tennessee and Kansas City, Missouri, it partners with Walgreens to screen thousands of old people for, sorry, thousands of people for food insecurity, regardless of their insurance, because your insurance has a lot to do with food insecurity, and refer those who screen positive to local food resources and federal nutrition benefits. So it's like you can hear that like this isn't ill-intended, but they're setting up a private version of SNAP. You know what I mean? Like that's the intention behind this is that they're intending on setting up essentially a less good uh, uh, I think you're grocery ste- I think initiative. You're really stre- steamrolling over grandkids on demand here. Uh, true. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like, <laughs> like let's yeah. Be let's real. talk Come about on. rent a kid. Sorry. Like, uh, uh, like what? What does it want even say about like rent a kid? Like I'm. This hurts to hear. This like is obviously, painful to hear. Obviously, as some sort of social program, it makes sense to have, you know, and like not to like totally gloss over the like the other thing, which is, yes, we have programs like Snap, but obviously it makes sense to do um, stuff like actually even I think uh, one of the many plans that of uh, from the Sanders campaign that we haven't really talked about because we don't have a lot of experience with it or whatever is there's literally like a, a plan platform for 
uh, combating like senior loneliness, right? Right, right. And so, like, right. as a social a, program, an actual serious problem. Yes, that we it's, need right. it's a serious human problem. resources to deal with. Like right. we're we're not like uh, you know we're not laughing away the problem. However, the solution, especially in being called grandkids on demand, are you yeah, that's... kidding me? Mm-hmm. Like let's cute, like like load up Netflix and see like that's uh, the beauty of innovation like, and Tammy at, at or work. Alice today. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good job, good job, robbing robbing the actual problem of loneliness and like the potential civic virtue of trying to solve that problem of yeah. any shred of like actual solidarity and instead making it into in the packaging and and function into some sort of commodity i mean that's just it's that's what's disgusting about it to me is you're taking one of the the things that could potentially be the most redeeming things that we do as human beings for one another is like prevent one another from like going becoming so lonely that we uh you know resort to self-harm and then replacing that with this this commodity yeah right and i will point out that i think that their use of the term loneliness in this instance is actually quite misleading because there is an existing issue of loneliness isolation and depression among seniors right and that is as you were saying a legitimate social issue that needs solving right there is a separate issue of seniors needing long-term care that they can't afford yeah, of and their rent a grandkid program sounds an awful like they're translating loneliness into a home bootstrapped health home yeah. health aid no, totally. with a familial aspect which is just so company town yeah, terrifying I mean, and down to tech support right they mentioned yeah. literally like so have a rent a rent a grandkid to come and like help you with your ipad help you with your loneliness which is just fulfilling the duties of a home health aid because yeah. That is just going to maybe put the Band-Aid on the demand for long-term care long enough for them to, I don't know, get to the point where they own everything. They've controlled the entire market. <laughs> yeah. Right. And like, and you know, very, very interesting that like the history of, okay, we all know the history of capitalism is a history of a system that like takes people away from their families that like, right. you know, ro- robs people of like any sort of like, uh, sort of like social connection that they have with other people. The really like the really wonderful sort of iteration that this is, is like, we're going to take you away. We're going to rip you away from like the social fabric that you have. And then we're going to sell you back a simulacrum of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At cost. We're gonna get, yeah. We're going to get you a filigree family. Uh, we will, you know, let's, uh, I, I don't think that the, uh, that the Medicare Advantage plan goes quite far enough. So as part of, uh, you know, I'm as, as part officially speaking on behalf of, uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg's campaign, that's right, everyone, <laughs> I have turned, I am now, uh, full on Pete Buttigieg's surrogate, uh-huh. the way that we are going to combat senior loneliness uh-huh. people. Are you ready for this truth bomb? You're going to personally send Chaston to everyone's apartment? Pete. Even better. <laughs> I pledge uh-huh. as a surrogate, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, official surrogate of the Buttigieg campaign. We 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 pledge uh, at the Pete Buttigieg campaign. Every rural town in America will get an Apple Store. At that Apple Store, which will not be open twenty four seven, but it will be open, you know, until five. We'll provide six. rural health care to seniors we'll, via telehealth. Uh, we'll provide company. Uh, technically we can't provide healthcare because, uh, you know, that would be extra. Um, but, uh, we can give you company. We can spend time with you. Uh, we have free classes. We'll, we'll teach you how to Skype 
and uh, and uh, there there you go. You know, we, well, that we've, sounds we've like some it. innovation. I was yeah. I was trying to get down my my Buttigieg uh, uh, cadence, and it's like um, I'm trying to think what it is. It's it's uh, you know, I'm really glad you brought that up. That's a great question. <laughs> you know, I've been seeing this my entire life. It, 1983 in in South Bend. <laughs> I nope. think you're leaning they a little need- hard on like Chris Walken there. There's no, no, no. You know? you know what he does in between? Uh, he swallows. Oh. So mm. that's what you got to do. Oh, God. I've been watching. Yeah. He yeah. swallows in between like every fra- every three or four words he swallows. Ooh, I think you also good. can't, you, you can't be and speaking he like twice. without a, a pained, thoughtful look on your face. You know, like. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I mean, so, so like what I was saying about, you know, these people aren't evil. Like they aren't evil. They recognize that there's a problem. Yeah. They recognize that there's a problem, right? They they discuss the CEO. I think I think a, a associate vice president of population health, Andrew Renda at um, Humana, says that 15 percent of Medicare Advantage plan members report being f- food insecure, and 37 percent report being socially isolated. And he points out that both factors do put people at increased risk of getting sick. But here is where I say that Humana is not evil. They are sick. Capitalism is a disease because the reason why Mr. Renda is worried about these horrible things happening to seniors is because it will cut into his bottom line. He goes on to say, when you have someone with a chronic condition and put social needs on top, there's an exponential increase in cost. That is a perfect storm we are trying to avoid. Not a perfect storm of senior loneliness, a lack of long-term care, an aging population of baby boomers who are going to need these services, rapidly privatized and austere Medicare Advantage programs. No, no, no. It's cost because cost is profit and they didn't get into the Medicare Advantage business to not make a profit. Yeah. Just saying. Right. So with that, <laughs> is there anything else we want to cover today? I feel like we had a lot more in our outline, but we're kind of, or we had a lot more to, that we wanted to talk about, but, um, no, I feel like that's that, that this perfectly illustrates why the death panel exists and yeah. why like we're only going to expand our efforts with your patronage and help um, right. because we like literally there are lots of smart people out there who have the right. ability to like think about at very granular levels of detail what right. a better system will look like, how you're going to make it happen. Yeah. But they are easily scooped up by organizations right. that really, I, I think, mispurpose and, and misallocate their time. This is like right. we have the ability to like to bring people together and, and make, make something better. I honestly think that like these poor researchers who have gotten these grants to provide this data for them to do what they need with it right like they have a right to be able to like do research that doesn't um make the problems they're studying worse like when we sat down with jamila michener like way back in the beginning of the podcast she said her biggest fear was worrying that her study of medicaid and means testing and the miserable things that health inequity does to people would be used against her own work to make things worse. And that that's constantly, you know, a factor in research like this. And as long as 
places like the Commonwealth Fund and CAP exist to like fund studies or fund research or fund, you know, investigative journalism instead of like socially funding these public goods, right? There's mm-hmm. going to be a problem, yeah. you know, and we're suffering for it and it's urgent. So, yeah. well, that was today's sermon. Thank you for coming yeah. to services. Um, please, uh, we're passing around the, what's the donation the coll- thing the called? The collection plate, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're passing along the plate. Uh, be generous. Uh, Jesus is watching. Um, I think with that. Uh, so, yeah, if you'd like to help the show, if you'd like to support our work, maybe we can fund some of Phil's own research ourselves, right? Um, we're entirely listener supported, so you can become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. Or you could um, boost our fragile egos and leave us a rating, a review. It helps people find the show. And, um, you know, as I said, it makes us feel happy. So in this dark world. Um, Thank you to our Discord mods and our Angels of Death. I think that's been another episode of the Death Panel. Yep. Look forward to uh, uh, Medicare for All Week coming soon. Yep. February 3rd. Uh, Watch for us to have more announcements on that, including like, uh, you know, we'll be rolling out. He'll be a part of it eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, Very exciting. mm -hmm. I can't wait to share that with everyone. Uh, And then also... Uh, if you're, if you're not a patron yet, I'm just going to go ahead and spoil what the next one is going to be tomorrow. I just, I'm, you know, I'm excited about this. Oh yeah, totally. On Friday, um, the, the Netflix, uh, goop series Hell yeah. is coming out. Um, we're going to watch it. Yep. <laughs> we're going to, we're, we're going to roast about that it. fucker. We're going to tear it apart and bring, uh, we're going to tear it apart and, uh, bring in a lot of other good things too, yes but. if you want if you want to hear our hot takes on Gwyneth Paltrow's yoni eggs become a patron before <laughs> <Yeah>. Monday <laughs> usually our our patron episodes are basically you know the same show just again this like is another, just a not the treat. same show again like the same the same format of show but this is this will be a special we one. do get a little more wild in the patron episodes though because you know we have this like false uh privacy protection you yeah. know and we do stuff like concept episodes like when we recorded live for my infusion and charlie pretended to be the rituxan yeah prince indeed. of chemos which was hilarious anyways uh, anyway, uh, uh, patreon what are the better theater events patreon.com slash death panel pod can I uh, can I give you guys one last treat to go out with? Oh God, yeah, oh, please. Just, just one last thing, because this was uh, this was one thing that we we had talked about, maybe discussing at greater length. Uh, and you know, I, I think it really just fits more here as kind of a capstone. Um, but I just want to highlight one thing from uh, I talked in a recent episode. We actually we all talked about in a recent episode uh, about mm-hmm. uh, how fun. It is to um, read the Financial Times every once in a while and see the raw, unfiltered id of the ruling class uh, just, you know, pulsating on the page. And uh, I wanted to h- highlight this little little snippet from oh, no, Davos. But I, I already watched Squawk Box from their Davos coverage. <laughs> oh, I know we talked about Davos. We, we talked about Squawk Box. All this, right, this bring it be, on. I'm ready. Be very brief. Um, I think this is just from one of their, uh, you know, opinion writers or something. Um, but. My spine is steel. I can handle this. This is called uh, Davos Business Leaders Discover the Value of Workers. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> ironically. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, this is the real Davos. That's the wow. real shit. Yeah. Just like, you know, just like they say about Davos, like the, the real truth is they figure out they, this is where the elite 
can meet like and the figure out the value, value of, their of workers by the pound, <laughs> by well, the ounce, because they're international. I just want to, the, the reason I want to say that, obviously, it's a very funny headline, but the reason I want to point this out, if you read like the New York Times or something, or if you look at like, let's say, a Warren team policy proposal, often one of the things that we ta- that people talk about is like uh, encouraging like, quote unquote, profit sharing in the workplace. Right, right. Now, anyone who's read Marx or has just, you know, lived through the economic hell of being a human being. Or who's ever uh, worked a gig economy job, too, especially. Or any job, really. Yeah. will know that basically uh, profit, the profit that is thus shared, basically, one sector where you get profit, essentially, is by, you know, suppressing the labor value of your workforce. So anyway, so the, the whole profit sharing thing is like a bit, I feel like is like a bit of a... Uh, a misnomer or like a mm-hmm. or, you know it's like a it's like a small fix for it's a band-aid on the on the like uh giant gaping wound that is capitalism um but i just want to say if you read like the new york times or something like that you'll see pro- like whenever someone says profit sharing it's like this like really great thing uh or whatever i want to highlight the financial times this opinion piece um the tone with which it takes this idea of profit sharing Uh this is how this uh, op-ed begins workers of the world good news you have been rebranded as quote stakeholders wow (laughs) and your bosses have signed public letters saying that you now matter every bit as much to them as the state as the shareholders on whose returns their bonuses are calculated Mm -hmm. if you had any lingering suspicions that the people who have staked more money than you will uh, have that the people who have staked more money than you will ever hold might still have the upper hand. Let Davos 2020 dispel them. The theme of World Economic Forum's 50 50th annual meeting taking place in the sparkling Alpine village this week is, quote, sh- uh, stakeholders for a cohesive and sustainable world. The executives in suits <laughs> and Cohesive, huh? Cohesive? A cohesive and sustainable world. That sounds like rapid depopulation in an Epstein <laughs> ranch to me. The executives in suits and snow boots will save all the talk of, buy- of buybacks and tax efficiencies until the next earnings call. This week is about a healthier planet, healthier customers, and you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's all adorable well if you'd like if you'd like when to banks compete you truly do win like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah oh yeah that was one of jamie diamond's points he was like you know under socialism they're gonna try and like publicly own all the banks and then they're Bank, just gonna banks give won't compete and you won't win well because they're just gonna give they're gonna give loans to anybody not not just win. to good businesses that make sense we fiscally gotta win. The main they're thing just is gonna winning. go out and give give a loan to whoever it's like well what else is morgan stanley doing right now what was the bailout Right. All right. Goodbye. Like, bye. Everybody. Bye. Do your best to stay alive another week. Join the Discord server and uh, become a patron to journey into the, what did you say, the giant gaping wound of capitalism under a goop empire with okay, us. I said wound. Wound. Thank you. Not womb. <laughs> yeah. All right. Freudian slip. Goodbye. Bye.
reaction to the president's comments, uh, the state of the economy and the markets and much more, we are joined by Jamie Dimon. He is J.P. Morgan Chase, chairman and CEO. And Jamie, it's great to see you today. Happy to be here. I, I, I know we've been talking about this for a long time. What, what do you think the potential end looks like? When do you think it comes? Is there any way of knowing any of these things? Or is there, are there any signs to say we're getting closer to a point where this actually does play out? I don't know. Do you see but bubbles? Only in sovereign debt. <laughs> sovereign debt's where you see the bubble. Yep. You don't see the bubble. I mean, even when we were talking about we had Uber on, a lot of these private companies. Is that, is that a bubble? Is that a... It's not a bubble because those do are... in time that says, unless we change capitalism, we might lose it forever. That's the headline they yeah, wrote. No. The, 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 headline, the headline is always not the accurate thing. So uh, what, what, did we get, what, what did we get wrong? Yeah. That good policy matters. Good government matters. You had long said you're, you're, you were barely a Democrat. I think you said that here many, many years ago. You look at this, uh, this election. Is there a Democrat not, you like? Yeah, I, 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 like, I like a lot of the moderates. I'm not a socialist. I mean, capitalism is the greatest thing that ever happened to mankind. I think people who haven't read the history books about socialism really should. I think we've got to educate our younger kids. Freedom, free enterprise. care was properly done. I'd be in favor of, but the other thing is, properly done. That's a big caveat. You could design these things badly or well, and we've just gotten really bad at designing them well. Uh, Jamie, uh, you just listed a, a laundry list of things that you think government should be doing. I think you've gotten a, a little bit impatient. Government's already a lot of it. But waiting, it for them, waiting for them to yeah. fix it and do it better, you've gotten impatient, and as a CEO, you've kind of taken matters into your own hand. I'm thinking of Haven, the, yeah. the healthcare initiative that you at J.P. Morgan, along with Berkshire Hathaway and Amazon, have been working on. Do you have any updates there? Any, anything you can is, tell us about what's happening? 